there are some digital marketing myths out there that continue to thrive. And in today's episode, we're going to go through five plus one of them, and we're going to debunk them once and for all. Now, if you open LinkedIn and scroll for a bit, you're going to see these peddled as truths. But we've done the data, we've done the analysis, and they are total, total garbage. Actually, some of them are such garbage, you don't even need to run any data. They're just verified garbage. And yet they're all still peddled and rolled out in the, some cases multiple times. Every few years, it's proclaimed that these myths are true and they are totally not. So we're going to get rid of them. Now, some of them are really dangerous because we've noticed them actually holding businesses or marketers back from doing their very best work, from pressing them, from being as aggressive as they could be in their marketing. So we're going to get this sorted once and for all. Let's go. Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name is Tim Cameron Kitchen. I'm CEO and Head Ninja at Exposure Ninja. We're a digital marketing agency that help our clients get more leads and sales from their websites. And that is exactly what this podcast is all about. But standing in the way of that progress is a whole bunch of digital marketing myths dreamed up by people who have not done their research or have never worked in marketing or who just make up stuff on the spot. So we're going to debunk some of these today. Now, first on the old shopping block, this marketing myth is so well established, it's not even challenged anymore. It's just accepted as truth. And I feel a little bit scared about taking it on, if I'm honest, because I couldn't find anyone else trying to debunk it. This is the well-known, the marketing rule of seven. Now, from what I can find, this was originally peddled by someone called Dr. Jeffrey Lunt, who's a very well-established marketing author. And the rule of seven, if you don't know it, is this, to penetrate the buyer's consciousness, by the way, these are the exact words, this is obviously not how I would word it, to penetrate the buyer's consciousness and make significant penetration in a given market, you have to contact the prospect a minimum of seven times within an 18 month period. Now, I'm sorry, it uses the word penetration twice in one sentence, but I'm gonna read it again just so we're all like completely clear about what this rule in inverted commas says, to penetrate the buyer's consciousness and make significant penetration in a given market, you have to contact the prospects a minimum of seven times within an 18 month period. Now, how is this applied? How is this used? Well, it's mainly used by advertising salespeople predominantly. And it's mainly used by advertising salespeople who are selling ads that you can't track, okay? radio sales, TV sales, that type of stuff. Now, I've had meetings with groups of radio salespeople twice over the years, understanding their pitches or working with them on a pitch. And both times, independently, these groups of people have found themselves using this rule of seven in the pitch. And it's total garbage. But the reason that they use the rule is because if someone says, well, how do you track a radio ad or how do you track a TV ad or even how do you track a display ad or something like that? It's very easy to say, well, on average, you need to have seven contact points with the prospects before they're going to buy. Well, then the person who's listening to the pitch is going to say, okay, yeah, well, mm, I don't know that that's right, but I also can't prove that it's wrong. And if this rule is delivered in a confident way, then yeah, it pretty much sounds okay. So I guess I should buy this radio advertising because then I've knocked out some of my seven impressions. 
The trouble is, now that we've got the data, and this was all before the days of tracking and multi-step attribution, now that we've got the data, we can prove that this is junk. This is total junk. Even though it's called a rule, doesn't mean it's true. It's total junk. Now, let me explain why. So in Google Analytics, obviously, we can track path length. So this is the number of steps it takes, the number of times that someone visits the site, the number of different experiences they have on our website before they convert. This isn't the full range of contact that someone might have with your brand. Of course, they might see your brand on a billboard. They might see you on social media. They might see you, they might hear you on the radio, hopefully not. Uh, they might see you on TV, whatever. And they, of course, might come to your website. But what we can see just from looking at Google Analytics is that the marketing rule of seven is total trash. And it's total trash in two different areas. Area one is there are a whole bunch of businesses we work with, and I've run the data on our clients, and they fall mainly fall into two categories. You've got businesses that have a very, very long path length. I, they have a huge number of steps. Prospects come onto their site many, many times before they'll convert. In the video version of this podcast over on our YouTube channel, there's one example of a software company and their average touch points to conversion is nine, okay? So rule of seven, not quite because this business needs nine touch points on average to generate a conversion. But then on the other side of things, you've got businesses that are very heavily ad driven. And by the way, more touch points typically is around organic traffic sources. So if you have a lot of organic content, whether it's social or um, organic search focused or stuff like podcasts or videos, then usually you have a longer path length. If you're very ad focused, then what we tend to find is that the path length is much shorter. And there are lots of businesses that we work with whose marketing ROI depends on them having a really small number of touch points before conversion. So this might be two or three different ad impressions or ad clicks before conversion. Anything more than that, the model just doesn't work for them. So the rule of seven is designed to be an average, but it's dangerous because very few businesses actually comply with this seven rule. They're fitting either in the smaller range or the longer range. So there are two reasons why this rule of seven is a dangerous myth. Number one, because every business has a different path length. It's foolish to assume that yours is seven and it's probably not gonna be seven. It's either gonna be much lower, might be slightly higher, it might be seven, but it's dangerous to assume that yours is going to be seven and make your marketing choices based on that. The second reason this is dangerous is you should be actively measuring your own, not just accepting any pseudo rule. By measuring your own, you can understand how people are finding your business. You can do more of those things and cut down on the stuff that you can't track and that you can't find is actually having a genuine impact on your sales. Delete. Okay, the second dangerous digital marketing myth I wrote the first version of the how to get to the top of Google book in I think 2012. And there is one thing that people have emailed me more about than anything else. And that is duplicate content penalties. So if you don't know what a duplicate content penalty is or what the theory behind a duplicate content penalty is for a decade now, people have been terrified that if they have a piece of text on a couple of pages on their website, that they're gonna have some sort of penalty against them. Google's gonna say, well, you've got duplicate content. You've got the same content on two pages. I will strike you down with vengeance, right? Nothing strikes fear into a marketing manager like the thought of being penalized by Google. We all assume Google is like a, a group of people sat around a table deciding who to punish and who to strip out of their search results. Obviously, that's not how it works at all. It's all algorithmic. It's all machine learning. Nobody actually knows what's in the algorithm, etc., etc. But let's be 100% clear. Google will not penalize you or derank your website for duplicate content unless you are scraping and you are doing duplicate content in a devious and scaled way, okay? I, you are scraping content from other websites, 
publishing it on your site, and that is your entire content strategy and you're claiming it as your own, right? You're not gonna get a penalty for pages created by your content management system, which contain duplicate content. You're not gonna get penalties for the same page showing up on two or more different URLs. You're not gonna get a penalty for like legal disclaimer, footer text, used across your whole site. That is not how things work. So let's say for example, that you're an e-commerce store and you've got a couple of different category pages on your site that list the same products and the featured text is the same for those products on both of those category pages. Don't worry, John Mueller's not gonna be turning up at your house on Christmas day with an ax, right? Worst case, if you've got text that is matched on two pages of your site on one of those pages or both of those pages are low value, one of those pages is not going to rank, okay? That's the worst case scenario here. You're not gonna get like a site-wide blanket duplicate content ban or anything like that. Google is way more sophisticated than that. It would be incredibly inefficient. Here's another way of thinking about it. Let's say that Amazon in their, uh, in the way that they've built the site, they have duplicate text coming from their category pages on a couple of different URLs. Is Google then gonna demote the entire Amazon domain because they've got duplicate content on a couple of pages? Of course not. So it would be incredibly heavy handed of an algorithm to work on that basis. And Google's algorithm is the basis of their success. So they're not gonna have anything as dumb or as heavy handed as that. So duplicate content, it's almost entirely not a thing, at least at the level that people assume it might be. Do not panic. Third, dangerous digital marketing myth. This is dangerous because it means people are scared of using it and they are seriously missing out. And that is that email is dead. Okay, email is dead. People have been saying that email is dead for, well, certainly since I started Exposure Ninja, which was what, 2013? So that's coming on 10 years. Now, according to Constant Contact, email marketing has a 36 to one ROI, i.e. you put one pound or dollar in, you get 36 out. Now, of course, Constant Contact would say that, right? They sell email software. We found the ROI for our clients of email marketing to be the highest amongst any of our channels as well. Now, of course we could say that. We sell done for you email marketing, but just because we say that doesn't mean it's not true. Email has ridiculously high ROI if you do it right. So whether it's indoctrination sequences designed to educate people who've signed up to your newsletter, whether you're running restock sequences for e-commerce purchases to past customers, encouraging them to reorder their direct consumer rabbit toothpaste, email is free and it is incredibly effective if done right. Now, a couple of things that we do need to clear up here. You're not gonna get 100% open rate. No, 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 no. You're gonna get maybe 20% open rate depending on your market. That doesn't mean that you suck. That doesn't mean that email sucks. Another thing that you're gonna be scared of is people are gonna unsubscribe to your emails. Again, that is completely okay as well. You don't mind unsubscribes. It actually improves the performance of your list as a whole. Don't take it personally. Unsubscribes are just a part of doing email marketing. Now, people complain about the promotions tab in Gmail, right? Or there's equivalents in Outlook now. So these are uh, the, the, the tabs that are built into the email software, which kind of take your email out of the recipient's main inbox and put it in a promotions tab or a social tab or whatever out of the way. And people complain about this. Well, I like to think of it in a different way. The promotions tab actually saved email as a format because if Google and Microsoft and Yahoo hadn't come up with these algorithms to filter out emails and put them in these other tabs, there is no way that we as consumers would still be using email because it would have been hammered so hard by commercial and spam 
emails over the years that it would be completely unusable. So promotions tab has saved email. And the great news is it's filtering most of your competitors as well, because they don't spend any time learning about how it works and what its triggers are. So without promotions, email for most people would have become unmanageable. Your job is to escape the promotions tab filtering system, but just because you need to do that does not mean email is dead. Now, what's really interesting is we can actually see improvements in some data as in email is getting more effective over time. So according to Digital Marketing Association, open rates in email grew from around 13% in 2020 to almost 20% in 2021 and a similar improvement to click-through rate as well. Now, what we find tends to work best with emails to get higher open rates, to get higher click-through rates is personalization. Now by personalization, I don't mean, you know, where you say, hey, first name. I don't mean just using their first name and trying to come across as being personal. We've got whole videos and podcasts about email marketing in more detail, but I mean personalization in that you're personalizing the emails that people get based on their behavior and based on their purchase or their lead history, okay? So we've talked about this before, but things like restock sequences. So if you just bought, you know, you just bought your supplement and then three weeks later or four weeks later, you're getting a restock reminder because you've only bought 60 days of product and it's almost time to repurchase. That's good. That's valuable. People like it. High open rate, high click through, high purchase rate. Things like review requests. You can automate review requests to go to people when they've had a product or when they've experienced your service. And that again can work really well because it puts that stuff on autopilot. Running indoctrination sequences to present your business as the solution to their problems, i.e. sending emails to people that they actually like about stuff that they actually care about. That's the way to win with email. The way to lose with email and the way to make email dead is to send out a in quotes newsletter telling them all about the latest exciting things in your business the award that you just got and the updates to staffing and the you know the soil pipe refitting in the warehouse nobody cares that stuff is completely boring so the way to approach email is to think if my customers were paying me 100 pounds 100 dollars a month to receive emails what would i be sending them if you can do that don't worry your email will not be dead. You will have a great time with email and with the sales that you generate from it. Next dangerous marketing myth, Google ads increase your organic ranking. Okay, there's actually two myths here <laughs> and they're actually opposed, which tells you that the whole thing is a myth. So you get one set of people that say they run Google ads and then they stop running Google ads and all of a sudden their rankings drop. Okay, I, I bought these Google ads and it helped my ranking. I turned them off and my ranking went away. Now you get the other side who say, I started running Google ads and my ranking dropped because Google wants me to be reliant on my pay-per-click traffic. Well, you understand here that both of these myths can't be true. <laughs> you can't get ranking and lose ranking from buying Google ads. That's not how things work. Now, Googlers have categorically said that pay-per-click does not influence organic visibility. These divisions of the business are entirely separate. And I've seen no decent evidence for there being a relationship. Yes, of course, there have been times over the years where we've had a particular client and their ranking has shot up once we started running Google ads or shot down once they stopped running Google ads or whatever. And we've gone in and there has always been something else that has been the cause. Now, people have speculated all sorts of things. You know, buying Google ads increases brand awareness, the rule of seven. Uh, so this would show up as increased organic traffic because, you know, people keep seeing your, your Google ads and then maybe they'll search your brand name and they'll click on your organic results. So that's going to increase your organic traffic. Maybe. But 
wait, wait, this is, this is total speculation. This is no reason to run any ad channel. You should be running or not running Google ads based on the metrics that you see from that channel alone, not because you're hoping for uplift elsewhere if you can't measure it, or because you're scared of being punished by Google if you stop running Google ads. So the link between Google ads and organic, forget about it, myth. <laughs> okay, my next myth. Oh, I love this one. <laughs> this goes into the category of I've been hearing this since 2012. That is SEO is dead. Now I know you're listening to Exposure Ninja podcast, so you don't think that SEO is dead. But still, humor me because I freaking love this stuff. We can learn so many lessons from this myth and the way that is presented and repeatedly peddled. Now in the video version of this, I show you an email which I received in 2016. Now I've been receiving emails along these lines actually since before the days of Exposure Ninja since 2012. I'm pretty sure the first email along these lines that I received was 2010 or 2011. But anyway, the first one I could find in my inbox was 2016. I love this guy, Chris Cardell, he's a marketer. And for a long time, Chris has sold uh, like Google Ads courses, right? Which is part one of where this is going. Now. The title of the email is Goodbye SEO Again. Okay, right there it tells you that this is a myth and this is something that he's been using over and over again. So 2016 wasn't the first time he was using the SEO is dead thing. I'm not going to read you the whole email. It's in the video if you want it, but I'm just going to read you a short segment. The next part carries a don't say I didn't warn you health warning. I announced three years ago that SEO was effectively dead. Okay, so that would have been 2013. A few smart people got it and changed their business accordingly. Many insisted on continuing to believe that they could beat the billionaires at Google at their own game. Don't say I didn't try. Imagine if you're working on SEO, you're working on improving the ranking of your website in 2013, Chris Cardell tells you that it's dead, so you stop doing it. <laughs> Imagine how much you would have lost here in 2022 when SEO is still the holy grail for most marketing managers. It's just phenomenal how ludicrous this whole thing is. No, like I said, I absolutely love Chris. I think he's, you know, I understand why he's saying this stuff. He's saying it because he wants to sell you a course on Google Ads, right? So he's using this as whatever it's called, sales puffery, of course, that's taking a position, but it's total garbage. SEO is not dead. It's no more dead today than it was in 2016, than it was in 2013. By the way, SEO in 2013 was freaking so easy. <laughs> we were ranking sites with exact match domains before they were even launched. It was a cakewalk. Amazing. Absolute great fun. Um, so SEO definitely wasn't dead in those days. If you look at Google Trends for SEO is dead, then you'll see that people, you know, search trends, haven't really let up since the uh, since uh, Google Trends started. So people have been saying this for years. Now, people who claim that SEO is dead usually say that Google ads are more prominent than ever. The reason they say SEO is dead is because ads are now so prominent, trying to rank organically is pointless because who is going to click on organic search results, right? This is just completely not true. Organic click-through rate for first position, so if you're ranking the top of Google, according to firstpage.com, is around 40%, okay? So that means um, around 40% of searchers will click on the first organic result. Now, this has been the same for as long as I can remember. Doesn't matter what Google does with ads. So back in the day, <laughs> Google ads used to have three ads at the top. They used to have ads all the way down the right-hand side of the page, and they used to have ads at the bottom. And organic click-through rate for the first result was still 40%. So it hasn't really changed. And then they got rid of the results on the right-hand side. They added another ad at the top. So you got four at the top 
And each time they made a change, someone said, SEO is dead. You're never going to be able to get in front of people with SEO anymore. And yet click-through rate has remained on average around 40%. So what's going on here? Well, ads are great, by the way. I'm not saying that ads aren't great. People click on relevance, okay? People don't just click on stuff because it's in front of them. People don't just search for something on Google. They get a bunch of ads. Some of them aren't relevant, but they click on them anyway because they're just so stupid. They just click on the first thing that they see, like a child or an animal just bites the first thing that it, you know. This isn't how people work. We search for relevance. We are functional people. And because ads are usually less relevant, ad click-through rate has tended to be lower. In fact, click-through rate for top ad position is around about 2.1% on average. So it's about a 20th of what the top organic position is. Now, ads are great. Like I say, if people see a relevant ad, they click on it. You should be running both. Though. You should be running Google ads, provided the economics work for you. You should be running ads and you should be running organic. Organic gives you mass volume of traffic because a certain proportion of people still scroll down and they click on organic results. Doesn't matter what Google does with labeling ads, how they change it, whether they have a yellow box behind them, where they have a little green icon, where they change the icon, have a little blue icon, they make it hollow. Every time Google makes a change to encourage people to click on ads, click-through rate and ads goes up for a bit and then it goes back down as people learn how to read what's an ad and what isn't. So we always sort of get to this baseline of ad click-through rate and organic click-through rate. We just get back to that. There's a reason that organic rankings are still right at the top of most marketing managers' wish lists and it's that click-through rate because they are the best driver of qualified traffic ever invented. I will stick a flag in the ground and say there is no better source of interested potential customers ever invented than organic traffic for your top commercial keywords. It's getting in front of people who want what you're selling at the moment that they want it. You cannot beat it. It's phenomenal. Now we've been saying since 2012, as long as there are search engines, there will be SEO. So SEO is not dead. SEO will not die. So long as there are search engines, search will change. It might become multimodal. It might become voice. People have been saying voice. This is the year of voice search since about 2016. It's not the year of voice search, but there we go. But search will change over time. But whatever search changes to, we will be optimizing the business information that you have to get to the top of that search, okay? It's all just about understanding how whoever is running the search is deciding their criteria. And it's unlikely that they will ever get market share unless it is predominantly organic because predominantly organic allows them to make those results more relevant, which makes them more useful for clients and customers. There's actually another myth. There's like a sub-myth here. Some people say ads versus SEO. Oh, I never click on ads, so therefore neither does anybody else. So this is like the opposing myth saying well, it's pointless running any Google ads because, you know, I never click on Google ads. I always just scroll down to the organics. First thing I say, thank you for that highly scientific and statistically watertight analysis based on totally unverified usage habit of one seven billionth of the world's population. But fortunately for Google's business model, people do in fact click ads. That ad click-through rate, 2.1%, might not sound high, varies on position, varies on the search, but this averages out really high across all ad click-through rates, about 1.9%, meaning that 1.9% of searchers click on a given ad. That might not sound like a lot. Well, there's a whole lot of searches going on on Google every day. So even though it's a relatively small proportion of all search, it can still make sense for your business. 
And also, don't, it's not, let's not forget, you're paying per click with Google Ads, so you don't necessarily want all of the clicks for a search. With organic, you want as much of that traffic as possible because the higher your click-through rate from search results, the higher your ranking is going to be. Well, with Google Ads, you don't necessarily want the highest click-through rate in the world. It's one component of quality score, but it's not the only one. So you might actually want to be disqualifying or discouraging some low-quality traffic from clicking on your ad for example, I remember in, you know, quite in the early days of Exposure Ninja, we were working with a client that sells screen protectors. And these screen protectors are expensive. Uh, they were like 16, 20 pounds back in the day when screen protectors were like two, three pounds. So they were really, really expensive. And we were running their, their first Google ad campaign and we reduced their CPA, their cost per sale by, I can't even remember, but something absolutely devastating. Like we reduced it by 90%, but it took a while to do it. And one of the reasons it took a while to do it is that we couldn't figure out how to get the conversion rate on their landing page up. What we realized is that people were coming through to the site and being shocked by the price of these screen protectors. So we weren't going to change the price of the screen protectors. What we had to do instead was mention the price in the ad so that if people were put off by the price, they didn't even click the ad because all that was happening is we were buying so many clicks for people that weren't going to convert because the price was so high that it was affecting the uh, economics of the whole campaign. So by mentioning the price of the product in the ad, the click through rate went like through the floor. It just completely plummeted, but that was completely okay because we could bid a lot more for the click and still come out significantly more profitably because once the price objection had, you know, been knocked out, we could make that sale so much easier. And actually it became a bit of a USP of the business that we offer the best screen protectors in the market. They are really expensive, but guess what? If you just spent like 800 pounds on a phone, spending 16 quid on a screen protector might not be the worst idea in the world, especially if it comes with a guarantee. So sometimes you want to disqualify people in ads. You don't want all of the traffic in the world. And that's why actually a 1.9% click-through rate might be completely okay. If you are selling, you know, divorce solicitors in New York, for example, and you might be paying $500 a click. We've got a client in the US in personal injury litigation. And in that space, there are clicks that you can spend $500 to $1,000 per click. Well, you don't want all of that traffic. You want to disqualify the people who are definitely not going to make a claim. Well, you really want organic ranking for that type of stuff. But if you're running PPC, you want to disqualify those people if you possibly can, because unless you're going to make a sale from that, just just get out. Don't even don't even cost me that money. So SEO is not dead. Google ads are not dead. Neither of them will die. As long as there is search, they'll be organic and they'll be paid. And we are here for it. Okay, next myth. TikTok is for kids. This is dangerous. I was reading the FT just this morning that um, under 25s spend more time watching TikTok than they do watching TV, which isn't a surprise for anybody who knows under 25s. I think one of our <laughs> one of our managers at EN said, one of their kids asked them the other day, uh, do we have ITV on our TV? For those outside the UK, ITV is a terrestrial station. But the gap, the generational divide between those who only use on demand, who only use like over the top services and those who use traditional broadcast TV is a massive gulf. And based on that, we can assume that TikTok is just for kids. TikTok is just for the younger generation. Hold that myth right there though, my friends. So was Facebook, so was Instagram when they first started. According to Statista, 20% of TikTok users are in their 40s, which is only slightly fewer than those in their 20s or those in their 30s, okay? So 20% of TikTok users are in their 40s. Now, rather than looking at the 20%, I would look at the direction of travel though. How has that changed over the last couple of years? 
It's that 40s group, which is the biggest growing group on TikTok. Look at the direction of travel, not necessarily where it is today. Now, the other thing about if we're talking about direction of travel, according to a leaked TikTok pitch deck, the average TikTok user, get ready for this. Oh my gosh. This is the demise of humanity. The average TikTok user opens the app. Guess how many times a day? Guess. Higher, higher, higher. 19 times per day. Yes, average opens on the TikTok app is 19 times per day and spends almost 90 minutes per day. This app is crack. This app will eat people's lives and productivity. <laughs> I, I talked to a, a kid, I, I mentor a kid and um, he was telling me over Christmas, he was doing like a solid six to eight hours on TikTok a day. It just eats people. They Once they get hooked on TikTok, they're all over, right? They just become a TikTok consumer. So as marketers, you've got two ways of looking at this. As a human, you can say, well, you know, this sounds absolutely awful. This thing should be banned and we should, you know, set up rehab places and start charities for people who need to escape TikTok's curse. As a marketer, you're probably thinking, great, well, that sounds like where I need to be. That sounds like a, ho a whole lot of attention. Let me get some organic reach. Well, yes. What we don't want to do, though, is just go straight to do we need to channel all of our marketing into TikTok? Of course not. Go where your audience is when your audience is in that mood. OK, generally so far, very few businesses have made a success of TikTok and there is not really too much of a repeatable playbook on TikTok of how brands should be using it. It kind of reminds me a little bit about uh, like Facebook organic. Facebook organic is incredibly difficult for brands. For whatever reason, there are very few brands that really get Facebook organic and get any sorts of traction with it, which has led Facebook to like pummeling business organic reach because it's just not what people want on their Facebook feeds. And it seems to be a similar sort of thing on TikTok. When we find ourselves working with clients on what we should, on recommending them the sort of content that they should publish, inevitably they say, we want to get a million views per video on TikTok. And we say, okay, great. Here's what you would need to post for that. But there's very little business case for doing that because if you want to go viral, your product may be featured, but it's not going to be the advert that you really want to run on TikTok, right? What people really want to do is they want to run an advert or they want to run an influencer-led campaign. But that's not the sort of stuff that goes viral because TikTok is so much about rewarding entertainment and there's a very specific thing that does well on TikTok and it's very difficult. There are very few examples so far of brands that have really tapped into this. Maybe Duolingo, sites like that, have, have done a reasonable job of this and built huge audiences, but it's very difficult to replicate. So I'm not saying what you need to do is redirect all of your marketing into TikTok. You need to go where your audience is and you need to, really importantly, make sure that you fully understand the platform first. You need to spend some serious time on TikTok getting to know it, getting to know what works first before you start saying, right, we need a million views on this thing. Because at the moment, there aren't that many brands cutting through. So TikTok is for kids, absolute myth, total garbage. And you're going to be glad that you didn't believe that in a few years time. But TikTok for businesses yet to be proven on a scale, right? So you need to spend some time there if it's part of your marketing mix. Now I've got one more myth for you. This one comes with a call to action though. And that myth is that GA4, Google Analytics 4 is confusing. Actually, this isn't a myth. It's completely true. If you don't know, Google is uh, like sunsetting Google Analytics, universal analytics, so like old GA uh, in June or I think June or July next year. It's less than a year away. So Google Analytics 4 is their new platform. Now, Google Analytics 4 is causing panic across the world because people are like, this thing is a complete freaking mess. They're still adding features to it every week. 
out of the box. It's so confusing. There are, I've lost a whole bunch of the reports that I was used to in Universal Analytics. I've lost a whole bunch of the metrics that I was used to. I don't know where to find the interesting info. What we have done is we've recorded a video showing you how to quickly get some usable stuff out of GA4. The good news is, spoiler alert, it's freaking fantastic. GA4, I promise you, you are gonna absolutely love it once you get to grips with it. The amount of data that we've got now is insane. It's beautiful, but I will completely agree the interface is a total mess and the level of expertise required to get to grips with GA4 is way above what you needed for GA3. So you're gonna need to spend some time getting to grips with it. So we've made what we think is hopefully the most plain English version of this. I just show you how to find your top traffic sources and how to find your best performing pages on your site. Now, the stuff that you can do with that info and the stuff that you can see in GA4 is so superior to what you can get in Universal Analytics. I think you're gonna find it really, really lovely and you're gonna to want to move over to GA4 even before Google prizes UA out of your cold, dead hands. So go and check that out on our YouTube channel. Just start, type in like GA4 Exposure Ninja and you'll find the video. So I hope you've enjoyed this uh, myth debunking podcast episode. If you've got any myths that particularly rile you, send them over. We had a whole bunch of great submissions, which we absolutely love looking through. And if you disagree with any of them, hey, hit us up on any social channels or drop me an email, Tim at Exposure Ninja. Say, Tim, I'm Dr. Jeffrey Lant. The rule of seven is absolutely proven. Here's my data. Fair enough, Dr. Jeffrey. I will issue a retraction, but until I get that, it's a whole pile of crap. <laughs> until next time, see you soon.